Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. And we got this bad boy up and running, not to worry. We got a tremendous show lined up for you on this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company. We got our buddy Lee Sterling lined up for us. Our friend from Paramount Sports will be joining us as we get a look at the weekend slate of sports betting college football in the pros. Then after that, Les East, our guy from CrescentCitySports.com. He's the expert extraordinaire when it comes to New Orleans Saints, New Orleans Pelicans. That'll be coming up at 8 o'clock. At 8.15, our weekly conversation with Gary Goff. That's right, the man in charge of the McNeese Cowboys football program. And then we'll close out today's show with Chris Vanini from The Athletic. He's the college football reporter. Of course, we'll take your phone calls, as always, 337-706-0111, And we'll get to LSU. We'll get to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, as always. But i got to start off today talking about New Orleans Saints football. Dennis Allen made a statement yesterday, made a decision yesterday, where he said two different things. He reportedly said that Jameis Winston isn't necessarily 100% healthy, and then a few minutes later said that they were making a decision to go with Andy Dalton and to stick with Andy Dalton because it was the best decision for the offense. So he spoke out of both sides of his mouth on this, and I know the producer extraordinaire who texted me yesterday about this was very upset about this. You have something to say about what Dennis Allen had to say yesterday. Good morning to you, madam. Tell me and tell all of us what is on your mind when it comes to this Dennis Allen quarterback situation. Man, I'm telling you, I oh, as soon as I saw the text come through in our group chat with the boys, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I just heard Foote in my ear yelling idiot so loud that, like, he would have braked my eardrum. Like, I was so upset, so angry. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this man is saying that, well, Jameis Winston is not 
100% healthy, but we're still going to start Andy Dalton still. Sir, do you not understand that, like, you're still losing games? You're still 3-7. and seven. You still lost your starting quarterback again. Like, I don't... <laughs> People are minimizing, I think. They think that, that we are minimizing these injuries. That's like, ah, oh, well, he's, you know, he's still a little bit health, he's still a bit injured, so he shouldn't start. No. The fact is that... Yes, injuries play a part of every every team. They play a part of every single team. The Ravens have it really bad right now, and you know even the Rams have it bad. The Super Bowl defending champions have it bad with injuries right now. But like, we need the rest of our team to step up. They need to step up because they should be able to help us from not losing games, and they aren't, and that's unreal. Like, we are riddled with injuries. We were last year. We had our possible Hall of Fame quarterback that left last season. So he was gone. So we started with Jameis Winston. Well, Jameis Winston was out very first week one. Injuries. Out for the season. Great. That's awesome. Fantastic. We love that for our team. We went with four other quarterbacks. We had five quarterbacks in total. Made NFL history with having five starting quarterbacks in a season. And we were still only one game out of the playoffs. Like, to me, that's crazy. But, like, now we have our coach is gone now. No, Sean Payton's gone. Great. Goodbye. Have a great day. Have a great vacation. Do whatever you're doing. But we were still one game out of the playoffs. We're now three and seven this season. We are three and seven. We are having the worst losing record that I've ever seen of me watching Saints football. And somehow people were like, well, we really can't put Jameis in because he has, he has injuries. Well, we still were playing Jameis when he had four, I think it was what uh, Andrew said yesterday, four broken vertebrae and an injury in, in, in his foot. And we, have, we, we, were, we were still trying to play this man. And now he's gone. And now he's sitting on the sideline. And now he's gotten better. Apparently he's at practice. He's still practicing. He's not really on the injured list saying that he did not practice, saying he's still practicing. And we're still putting Andy Dalton, who has done the exact same thing that we're all saying that Jameis Winston is doing, and yet we're like, no, let's not put Jameis in. He's not healthy enough. It just it doesn't make sense. Like whatsoever. No one's you no know, no one's little you know belittling the injuries that he has, but it's the fact that we're losing these games and now we're getting told that basically he's about as healthy as he's gonna get right now because Every single player is somehow injured in their life. They're always going to be somehow, there's some injury that they're going to come back from. If Michael Thomas comes back, he'll have that injury. He'll, you know, he'll have a surgery. He'll come back. But he's still going to be 100% healthy. No one can. You still see some problems with Verlander in baseball when his injuries. Michael Brantley Jr., injuries, comes back, is still playing. But they're still somehow hurt on the inside. No one can be 100% healthy after they've been injured the very first time. Like, I, I broke my tooth. And you know what? It still hurts sometimes. Even though I've gotten it fixed. I have a fake one in. And it still hurts sometimes. My brother has some concussions. And he still hurts sometimes. People are going to well, still be hurt. To your point on all of this, all teams deal with injuries. Yes. Plain and simple. Injuries is part of the game. And my issue with the Saints is not injuries, okay, because all teams go through this, and all teams sometimes get snake-bitten and have to deal with this. 
And sometimes you suffer an injury to a major player, a key cog in your team, and it matters. And it impacts your entire season. Absolutely. That's part of the game. 100%. And I can go on board, I can go on board, rather, with that being a, a, an excuse, a reason why this team has struggled. Because they have been hit with the injuries poorly. And we can go into great details, and we can have a discussion about the fact that the Saints training and medical staff does not seem to be doing their job. But there does seem to be a disconnect when it comes to, okay, these guys are injured. Why not put them on the IR? That way you can at least get some roster relief and have guys come up and play on the team. That way you can have enough numbers, and they have not done a very good job of that all season long. We can talk about that as well. My thing is the head coach talking out of both sides of his mouth, going, well, it's the best decision for our offense. It's the best decision for our team, saying that's why they're going to go with Andy Dalton, the red rifle. And then a little bit later saying, well, Jameis is 100%. Well, which one is it? Are you making the decision to go with Andy Dalton because it's the best for your offense? Or are you making the decision because Jameis is not 100%? And we don't get clarification on that. And I think that's probably the big frustration for a lot of Saints fans out there. Right. And, like, I'm, I'm hearing people – I hear people say all the time, I'm listening to the radio yesterday, and I'm hearing people – Talk about, you know, well, you know, Dennis Allen, he has to know how his player is. No, he doesn't. He literally said in one of his sound bites a couple of days ago, he said, uh, 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 I, I think I need to talk to, to, to Jameis. Yes, you should already have all these conversations with your players at all times. If they are injured, they are still your players. Though you're not the offensive coordinator, you're not the defensive coordinator, but the fact is, is you're still their head coach. You should still know what's going on with all of your players. It's like it's like being a teacher. A teacher, there are seven classes they have. They have at least 20 to 30 kids in each class, and they still know what's going on with every single student. Someone's sick, they know it. Andy, Andy Dalton, he's fine. He's playing whatever. But, like, Dennis Allen seems as though he only has his favoritism, it seems like, for Andy because he made the coaching decision, I think, three or four weeks ago to put Andy Dalton in even though James was okay to be able to play. That was his choice. But the fact is, I don't think he even knows what's going on with Jameis, in all honesty. Because if he does, he would probably put him in maybe two weeks ago, maybe a week ago. Because he sees his team is not winning. You are three and seven. The things that you were scared of, of Jameis, of people are saying it constantly, media and fans and otherwise, is that, oh, he's going to turn the ball over so much. Oh, no, no. Well, guess what? That's what Andy Dalton's doing right now. It is right now what Andy Dalton is doing. And we're not wanting to put even Jameis in. I'm not saying they're going to win a whole lot more games because Jameis is in. But I think it will spark some kind of sense in the offense and the defense if he's in. Well, five names. Here's, here's the other thing, and here's the other bigger point to that. So Jameis was healthy enough earlier in the season where you still played him with four stretch fractures in his back because he wanted to play. And once again, I can respect Jameis wanting to go out there for his team and play hurt. But he was healthy enough at that point for you to still throw him out there. Right. So now that he's actually healthy and the stress fractures have begun to heal and the foot issue is not an issue anymore, you know, the reasonings why you were able to put him and put him on the sidelines because he was really, really injured, 
But now that he's healthy, you're not putting him back in. So you're not being consistent. That's the other part of this. You played Jameis when he was injured and still played him when he was injured. And now that he's healthy, you're not playing him. Right. So which one is it? Once again, look, if you make a decision that you don't want to go with Jameis Winston, you want to stick with Andy Dalton, that's fine. I have no problem with that. I just need you to be more consistent, right? There has to be a consistency in the way of thinking on this. It's not even just having the consistency. It's also having just the confidence in yourself that you're making the right decision. Like, I I don't think he – Dennis Allen is our head coach for the Saints. I I, I know that. I can read it off of Google, off of Yahoo. You can read that. But I don't know if Dennis Allen actually realized that he's the head coach and you got to have this confidence in yourself because almost every single clip's – that we have played always go, uh, 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 I think, uh, uh, have confidence in yourself for your team. If you want to go with Andy Dalton, that's your choice. You are the head coach, but you have to have the confidence in yourself to make that decision. But I don't know if he has that confidence in himself even to be the head coach, which is what's confusing me. If you want to have Andy Dalton start, Andy Dalton can start. Will the rest of your fans not really like it? Well, foot like it. Heck no. But doesn't want to see Andal never again. But doesn't know why we even signed him in the first place. But I think you need to put Jameis in to even see a difference in your team. I'm not sure if you're going to win the next game if you put Jameis in to start this this Sunday. But it's a change in the offense. It's a going to be a spark for them. Like, oh, we have, you know, our technically our starting QB is back in. Put the man out there when he was really hurt. And I don't put the man out here when he's healthy. That makes no sense to me. Whatsoever. And then it also leads back to speculation. You know, it it makes you second guess whether or not he was really their quarterback. We know that the front office in the offseason tried to do their darndest to get Deshaun Watson in New Orleans. They didn't sign Jameis Winston by that time. And it it wasn't until after they missed out on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes that they went back and settled on a contract with Jameis Winston. So, you know, that makes you go back and go, okay, well, yeah, they didn't really want Jameis then. Did he really win the job in the fall? Was it more of saying, okay, well, let's go with this guy because he's younger? You know, it it opens up an entire Pandora's box on this team's mentality and Dennis Allen's mindset when it came to the quarterback position. Right. Uh, It makes, I think, everybody wonder, like, do. Are we doing this and having Jameis be technically our starting QB at the beginning of the season because we want to show the team you know, that's what that's what Sean want to kind of make happy of what Sean to put in here because he did do so much for this team. Maybe maybe the real answer was Andy once they couldn't get to Sean. I I don't I don't think we will ever really know the real answer to that because I don't think they want to, want us to know the answer to that. I don't think they do. But look, we're gonna take a timeout. And we're going to come back with more. And Justin Verlander sweeps and gets the AL Cy Young. That's his third one. So we're going to take a timeout. We'll be right back here on the game. 137 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. RP3 is known for being a well-tempered and thoughtful sports journalist. The incompetence, the absolute abundance of arrogance from Rob Manford makes me want to punch him in his throat. Okay, well, we all have our bad days. I'm not kidding. If he was right here in the studio, I would walk up to him and throw him a punch. 
Well, let's all hope he took his meds today. Back to hopefully a calm and collected RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Six twenty-seven on this chilly Thursday morning. Shout out to the producer extraordinaire for holding it down. <laughs> you all right? You all right? That's never I happened heart's before. Still racing. That's never happened before. <laughs> all transparency. Uh, the reason why we had to do the uh, very first part of the show on the phone is because, unfortunately, I have a sick eight-year-old in the house, and. Uh, we couldn't keep anything down last night with her, so I stayed up all night with her and my wife. And, uh, yeah, so when it typically would be waking up is when I fell asleep. <laughs> so, thankfully, producer extraordinaire stepped up, handled things here, and uh, I already knew that you were going to be ranting about the, <laughs> the, the Saints and Dennis Allen, but... You were raring to go. Great job. Thanks, Great job. Bud. Thank I you had, for holding I, it down. I had all the, both the Austins and Steve Wiley in the side door pumping me up. They're like, yeah, yeah, she's killing it. <laughs> you were. And you were fired up yesterday about it when you were texting me. And I got this long, like, four-page text message. And I was like, oh, what's happened? I thought it was something serious. <laughs> and you're like, no, you just wanted to vent about Dennis Allen. I said, okay. Yeah. People in cars next to me yesterday were, like, wondering if I was okay. I'm like, Hitting and slamming my car, you know, the wheel to my car. I'm, like, yelling. The boys are on, so I'm, like, yelling while the boys are yelling. So, like, me and Matt sounded like a giant foot just screaming at the same time. A giant foot. It was fantastic. Look, my bigger thing, just to do a little reset there, my bigger thing is not the fact that he's deciding to go with Andy Dalton. If, if that's his decision as the head coach – and he and his staff have said, you know what, this is the the right decision, then that's fine. And he said that yesterday. That's the crazy thing about this is that he said and he made his pitch that it was a situation based on the offense. It was the best for the team. It was the best for the offense to move forward in this capacity with the ginger, with the red rifle as the starting quarterback. Okay, you're the head coach. I have no problem with that. My problem with it is it's not consistency. It's just not. You say that, but on the same hand, he also said that, well, you know, Jameis isn't 100%. Said that Jameis isn't 100% healthy and said that he doesn't know he will be. Then what is it? That's my problem. And you knew he wasn't 100% in game number two of the season. When we find out, well, it was a game three, I think it was, we find out that he mm-hmm. has four stress fractures in his back, then he hurts his foot. You knew he wasn't 100% thin. So what is it? It feels like he's hedging his bets, right? It feels like he's going, hey, Andy's the best guy for our offense, and Jameis isn't 100%. So he, he, it's almost like a built-in excuse, if you will. Right. But for a team that's three and seven, well, there you go. I, right. I, I just, you know, 
once again, this team isn't going anywhere. And, and as much as Saints fans wants to see what Jameis has in the tank and what he can possibly do, he still had four stress fractures earlier this year, this season. He's got the foot issue. How good is he going to be? I don't know. I, I, I feel like I see this team's record being 5-12. and 12. I could see, yes, five, five or six wins. Yeah. And, and once again, the offense has been an issue at times. The play calling has been an issue. But they're a mass unit. I mean, did you have you seen the injury report of pain that was yesterday's injury report for the Saints? The midweek injury report for the New Orleans Saints is nothing but pain. Here you go. Here's your non-participants from Wednesday's practice. Once again, they're playing Sunday against the Rams. Josh Andrews, illness, did not practice. Marcus Davenport, still dealing with a calf injury. He didn't practice. JT Gray, hamstring, did not practice. James Hurst, concussion, did not practice. Mark Ingram, knee, did not practice. Cameron Jordan, eye. Cameron Jordan's got an eye issue. Did not practice. Jarvis Landry with his ankle was limited. Marshawn Lattimore still did not practice. Is probably not going to play on Sunday. Marcus May limited with an abdomen issue as well. Andres Pete did not practice due to a triceps deal. Ryan Ramchick, illness, did not practice. Malcolm Roach, ankle, limited in practice. And Pete Werner did not practice. He had surgery. Does that seem like a team that's going to have a legitimate chance of winning a football game on Sunday? It doesn't matter who you have at quarterback. Like, like This is a 3-7 and seven team that is a mash unit, that it's lost its identity, can't play defense anymore, which was its strength, and doesn't get the ball in its playmaker's hands on offense. This team, this team isn't going anywhere. No. They're just not. So part of me... I understand you are part of the, you know, Houdat Nation. I get that. Part of me goes, why would you want to do that to Jameis? A guy that's already played through four stress fractures in his back and has has dealt with a foot injury. Why would you throw him out there? I mean, right there alone, I just listed three starting offensive linemen that aren't going to be able to go. I mean, if you throw Jameis coming off the injury, still being hobbled, you're going to kill him behind that offensive line with that play calling. Yeah. So, so part of me goes, yeah, this sucks. There's an inconsistency here. Jameis's arm gives the Saints the best chance to do something. But on the same hand, part of me goes, is that in the best interest for Jameis? If he wants to have any shot of playing football the rest of his you know, career, does he really need to get behind that offensive line and face Aaron Donald, the best player in the NFL, the most dominant defensive player of his generation? Do you know what nightmare scenario is going to happen Sunday when Aaron Donald faces off against a battered offensive line for the Saints? He's going to eat Andy Dalton for lunch. Why would you do that to Jameis? Like I, I, that, that, once again, you're talking about a guy coming off an injury last year, didn't even get to the point where he could fully participate in training camp and preseason until late, and then he suffers four stress fractures in his back and a foot issue. Why not just go ahead and let the red rifle take the beating for the rest of the season? I, I'm just throwing it out there. 
I'm just throwing it out there. I know Saints fan doesn't want to hear that, but if I'm Jameis Winston, it's going to be time to make a business decision. Hey, <laughs> you know, and is this the team that I'm going to sacrifice my body for? It's just even it's more annoying about the fact that we have to look at this injury list and go, all right, well, these certain guys aren't out. We don't have any depth in our team that we can still put out, you know, tending our probably our better quarterback and put him out there because we can't trust, you know, our number twos. No. That, you can't. That's and that, that's a problem. Because that's you don't, even a major problem. Because you don't have the roster depth. You just don't. No. You don't. And and part of that is because of how much money you've had you know, tied up to everything. And look, that can be a discussion for another day. It really can. But it is what it is. Something else that happened yesterday besides Dennis Allen telling us that the Red Rifle will be the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints for Sunday's game and moving forward, indicating for the rest of the season, was Justin Verlander winning his third career Cy Young Award. He's the 11th pitcher in history to win at least three Cy Young Awards. Only 10 other men have done it. Verlander and Sandy Koufax are the only two pitchers to throw at least three no-hitters and have at least three Cy Youngs. It's a very small list. The fact that he won the Cy Young is remarkable, 39 years years old, and coming off Tommy John surgery. He caps the great comeback season. It's the fifth Cy Young Award winner for the Houston Astros in their history. Verlander winning it twice this season, 2019. Dallas Keuchel, that's a name from past, 2015. Roger Clemens, the Rocket, won it in 2004. And then, of course, Mike Scott back in 1986. And that's all great. And Verlander deserved it. And it was unanimous. And you look at his resume, two Cy Young. Since he's been in Houston, I'm not talking about what he did in Detroit where he won a Cy Young and the American League MVP, by the way. This is what he's done since he's been in Houston, since 2017. Two Cy Young Awards, an American League Championship Series MVP, his third no-hitter, he recorded his 3,000th strikeout, his first World Series win, won two World Series titles, and had a 300-strikeout season. But I don't think he's coming back, courtesy of Brian McTaggart, Houston Astros reporter. Verlander on Astros negotiations, quote, No, I haven't spoken to Jim Crane since the last time we spoke. He texted me that he wants to be involved going forward. I don't know what the future holds. This journey with the Astros has been nothing short of incredible, end quote. Further, Verlander on free agency, quote, I'm going to be in a situation where the market will dictate this and we'll see what happens. Obviously, there are other people that are interested. Jim understands that, end quote. That does not sound like a guy that's coming back to Houston. He he wants a three-year deal. I don't blame him. He's just won the Cy Young, unanimous. He's 39. He's going to be 40 for next season. He wants a, a, apparently a, at least a three-year deal with a fourth-year option. And he wants a ton of money. Trying to be like the, the Tom Brady of the MLB. 
He's trying to be, yes, he wants to pitch until he's 45 <laughs> or 47 years old. That's what he wants. He's even expressed that. Will Crane pony up the dough to overpay for Verlander? Because you're not going to get Cy Young award-winning seasons all three of those years. No. History tells us that will not happen. But if you're Jim Crane, are you really going to let him walk? That's going to be interesting to see because, remember, there's no GM in place in Houston. So will he be able to keep Verlander? That's going to be the big question mark. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up right here. What we got all on tap? Well, how about some Raging Cajuns football? Heard from Coach Dez yesterday. We'll share that with you. That's coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Man, if you're looking for some great stocking stuffers for this holiday season, look no further than the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse inside Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. You can also score yourself a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, also inside Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only win those great stocking stuffers by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free, it's simple, so go sign up today. Poll question of the day. You can go vote on that as well. It's all about JV. Justin Verlander. Should the Astros do whatever it takes to keep JV in Houston? He's going to command a ton of money, probably more than $100 million. He's going to want the years on the contract as well, at least three seasons, maybe even four. Once again, he's 39, coming off Tommy John, but he just won the Cy Young. He's a future first ballot Hall of Fame pitcher. He's been part of what you've done there in Houston since 2017. He's helped you win two World Series titles. Do you overpay for the back end of that contract not being as good because you feel like you got an opportunity to win back-to-back? And with no GM involved, does Jim Crane just write a check? Should the Astros do whatever it takes to keep Justin Verlander? That's our poll question of the day. Yes or no? Straightforward, simple. Want to hear from you. Go vote and then leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids, as we ask you always. Got to make sure to keep it clean for the kids. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns, they don't have to make many decisions. Their big decision, rather, I guess, would be, hey, let's get to six wins. Let's do whatever it takes to get to six wins. And they had the mindset of going to get to six wins this Saturday as they take on number 20-ranked Florida State. Seminoles have turned things around in year number three 
under Coach Mike Norville. We talked about it with Jesse Coger yesterday from Plant the Spear. Things have really turned around. It's a top 25 ranked opponent. They're going to have their hands full. We know this. But the Cajuns' mindset going into this is that they're going to win the game. They're not looking like a lot of us are of, okay, let's just get out of there injury-free and then win the finale at Texas State to get bowl eligible. They want to go ahead and get bowl eligible right now, this week. And Coach Dez talked about how he and his staff and his team is embracing the opportunity that this game provides them. You only get 12 games that are guaranteed to you. You know, and, and that's 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 the thing is that, you know, that this football thing is a little different than everything else because you work year-round. I mean, it starts the day that it ends. And you work year-round. And if you can't be excited about going play 12 football games, it doesn't matter who you play. You know, I mean, whether it's, it's Southeastern the first game of the year or it's Florida State Week 11, you know, you got to be excited to go play these games. And um, our kids embrace the opportunity to go do it. You know, it's a, it's a great environment. It's a great football team. They're playing really well. It's an opportunity for us. You know, we're trying to get our sixth win, and this is the next game that we've got. So, yeah, I mean, we're – I mean, these, these games are fun to go play. You, you know, you get to go out there, you get to go cut loose. Um, you know, you get to go see what kind of team you got. You know, you're playing a really good football team. You better show up. You better play well. You better prepare well. And, uh, you know, you go out there and go try to get a win, and that's that's what we do every week. So it's it's regardless of the logo or conference or anything like that. That's the way you approach it. That's the way you treat it. Um, you know, and our kids, I mean, they know the kind of team that we can be when we put it all together, and we're going to go try to put it together this week. I love that mindset. I, and I know some Cajun fans may squabble and go, well, why are they, you know, they just need to be focused on getting bowl eligibility. But you can't, in year one of taking over a program, you can't decide to take games off, if that makes any sense. You can't put more value on on games over others because it sets the wrong tone. It sets the wrong example with your guys. So those guys in that locker room need to know that their head coach is all about going to Tallahassee and taking down a top 25 opponent. That's got to be their mindset. Now, if things get out of hand, right, things go sideways and they're down by four touchdowns in the third quarter, then probably you go ahead and concede and you go, okay, well, let's get some backups some time in there. That makes sense. But you can't have the mentality of the game week to be that way because you'll lose your team if you do. you got to have that mentality that you're going to go in there and win. And he was asked straight up yesterday, what can a win versus the Seminoles do for this program in year one under his guidance? Well, I mean, anytime you go out there and, and you beat a ranked team, right, it, it kind of validates you and it validates the things that you feel about your team. So the biggest thing would be getting our sixth win, you know, which is what that's what we like I said, that's our goal right here, regardless of who you play. Um, that's the biggest thing for us. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, you end up beating a ranked team and it kind of changes the trajectory of your season, you know, a season where, I mean, God, we've had some ups and downs, right? We've had some some struggles throughout it. Um, it just, you know, winning fixes a lot of things and cures a lot of things. And certainly if you can go beat a, a really good football team like they are, I mean, you know, those guys are ranked for a reason. You know, if you turn on the tape, you watch it, they've got good players all over the place. So it, uh, you know, it, it, it validates some things and it, you know, it fixes a lot of things. You know, whenever you win games, it, it fixes some of the things that happen early that, you know, don't go your way. They're going to look to go into Tallahassee and get a win. 
I don't need the Cajuns to win, right? I just need to see some fight. I need to see some focus, and I need to see them be able to hang for a little while. And then if the game gets away from them, as we expect it to, because Florida State is an ascending program, they're finally taking that step after not making it to a bowl game back-to-back years for the first time in decades. They're already bowl eligible. They finished second in their division in the ACC. That's nothing to kind of hang your head about if you lose and you lose by more than, you know, double-digit points on the road to Florida State. But you definitely want to see them fight. You want to see them have some focus in this road trip because that's going to pay off big the following week when they're going to need to win the game to get to be bowl eligible. We got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, we'll wrap up our number one. We'll update that poll question of the day as well. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Should the Houston Astros pay Verlander whatever he wants? That's our poll question of the day. Once again, JV gets it done, helps the team win a World Series title yet again. Wins the Cy Young Award, unanimous. His third Cy Young Award of his career yesterday. 39 years old, coming off of Tommy John, had a sensational season. But JV wants at least a three-year deal, maybe even four. He's going to command $100 million. Should the Astros just pony up and pay whatever it takes to keep JV in-house and not let him go to Los Angeles or New York or Baltimore or wherever it may be that's willing to to sign him a blank check. Should the Strohs do whatever it takes to make it happen? I don't know about this. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, and you got a nice young pitching staff as it is. Do you need to pay Verlander whatever he wants? Let's get to some comments. JPKOD says, nope, it's time to cut bait. Oshak Hennessy says, pay the old man. So, so far, got conflicting comments here on the poll question of the day. Should the Astros pay Verlander whatever he wants? Right now, 33% of you say yes, 67% say no. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number one, hour number two, coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. (laughs) 
7.03 on this brisk Thursday morning. I'm Raymond Parts III. I'm joined by the fired-up producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. One hour in the books, still got two more hours to go, and they're going to be tremendous. We're going to make this a tremendous Thursday. Made the decision. Wait for it. Yep. Done. We're going to make it tremendous. Lee Sterling, our sports betting analyst from Paramount Sports, will join us half an hour from right now. We're going to look ahead at the weekend slate of games, get his thoughts. You know he's good with the betting lines. You know you want to put a little extra money in your back pocket. Not to fear. Lee Sterling will be joining us half an hour from right now. And then an hour from right now, we'll talk Saints and Pelicans with Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. So that's what we got coming up in this hour. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Game hotline is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Poll question of the day is up as well. You want to comment on that? JV, Justin Verlander, won his third Cy Young Award last night. Only the fifth time an Astro has won the award. JV's done it twice. Joining Dallas Keuchel, Clemens, and Scott. 39 years old. What a a miraculous comeback story. Wins the Cy Young. Wins the World Series. It's amazing. But JV wants to get paid. And this is what this boils down to. And look, I'm not going to knock a guy at his age wanting to get a paycheck. Wanting to secure money for his kids. I'm not going to do it. Even though his wife probably can make more money than he does. This is going to be his last opportunity to get that big payday. 39. He probably does have a sense of mortality when it comes to his career because he lost nearly two years of it due to Tommy John. You just won a World Series. You've won that championship now twice. You just won your third Cy Young. The resume is secured, right? If JV stopped pitching today, he more than likely would go into the Hall of Fame. He's done what everyone's always wanted to do, win a World Series championship. He's done that twice. He's won three Cy Youngs. He's won an uh, AL MVP. He's won Rookie of the Year, multiple All-Star, multiple no-hitters. Guy set. Legacy is set now, especially that he got the finally got the World Series win, got that monkey off his back this year. So JV's got nothing left to prove. So the fact that at 39 years old and he'll be 40 next season, he wants to secure a big-time contract the last time he'll have an opportunity to do so, get himself a $100 million contract, I'm not going to knock the hustle whatsoever. Good for him. He's looking out for his family. An Astro fan don't want to hear that. I get that. But you got to understand it. And I've already heard some Astro fans being upset. Well, JV, you know, he needs to be loyal to us. Look, man, this is a business. This is a business. 
owner of the baseball team, Jim Crane, wants to win. He got Justin Verlander because he felt like it would help him win, and it did. But at the end of the day, the man who owns the Houston Astros also likes to make money. And this is a business. It's a game. We love the game. I love the game more than anything else. But I also understand it's a business. And if JV can go somewhere where he can make more money, got nothing but love for him. Get after it. It's his decision. It's his family. But I'm interesting to see what happens with Crane. Once again, James Click no longer there. He was the guy that kind of had the small payroll mentality, right? He came over from Tampa where they were able to build contenders out of scraps, essentially. So he never wants to spend big. Well, that guy's no longer there. The guy to say no to the owner is not there. So now the owner can write blank checks. And you saw the money they gave to Montero as a reliever. What, $54 million? Three-year deal for 54 I do believe. That's for a reliever. Not even the closer. That's just the setup guy. That's a reliever that he spent that much money on. Would he write a blank check for JV? I don't know. I don't know. And we shared with you what Verlander said earlier, where he said it's been, you know, it's been an incredible time with the Astros and his career like that. But he says, you know, he's going to explore free agency, as he should. Does that mean that the Astros can't get him to come back? I stand corrected, $34.5 million. So that's not really that much money. But for a lot of people, it is. For a middle reliever, you spent $34.5 million on three years? Yeah, for Montero. But if you're Crane and all indications are he's trying to do whatever it takes to win back-to-back, which is immensely difficult to do in baseball, especially in the modern era. Wants to win back-to-back. You're bringing back Dusty Baker for another year. You're bringing back Montero, which means you have your World Series bullpen secured. All those guys are back. Do you just go ahead if you're Crane, a billionaire, and say, you know what, JV, here's your check. Come on back. And you have everyone back under contract and you can still go out there and get yourself a slugging first baseman? Maybe. But I can't sit here and pretend to know what goes through the mind of a sports owner because that's a scary place. I'll never be a billionaire. I'll never be a millionaire. I'll never be whatever the term is for someone who makes six figures. I don't know what that term is. Is there a term for that? I'm not for sure. So I don't understand that type of, you know, massive wealth and what goes into your thought process on how to run your organization. 
but it does feel like Crane would like to bring back JV. Can he afford to? And is he willing to pay? Because once again, remember, great season, Cy Young award-winning season, phenomenal comeback by JV, but he'll be 40 next year. The likelihood of you getting Cy Young caliber seasons year after year for the length of the contract is not very high. But if you're willing to overpay for JV for at the end of the deal, because you know you're going to get another Cy Young caliber season next year to be able to help you win back-to-back World Series titles, it's probably worth it, right? It's probably worth it. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Randy to the show. Randy, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Well, good morning. Uh, you know, we're talking about Justin Verlander and – you know, the fan side of me would really love to see him get that money and and return to the team that he's won two Cy Young Awards with. But on the business side of it and the fact that, you know, as somebody who's followed the game as long as I have and a former pitcher from the 80s, you know, I don't see a starting pitcher ever being worth that much money anymore. They get yanked in the sixth inning. Mm-hmm. Weeds are blown by bullpens regularly. Wins are so hard to come by as a starter, it's just, I mean, you're talking about paying him Bryce Harper money for somebody who's going to go out every fifth or sixth day and pitch six innings. And it just doesn't make any sense to do that um, on a financial standpoint. And the other uh, thing about that, Randy, is as great as JV is, and once again, we're not taking anything away from JV, right? So This is not what we're saying. But they didn't have Verlander last year, and they made it all the way to the World Series. So... As valuable as he is, as great as he is, this team has proven that it can overcome the loss of Justin Verlander and make it all the way to a World Series against the Braves. Now, they lost that World Series. I understand that. But their pitching rotation, their pitching may be the deepest in the entire league. Do you overpay for JV when you got Valdez just in the wings ready to be your ace? That's the other part of this, right? And you got Hunter Brown, who's going to be ready to be a starting pitcher more than likely this year as well. Do you do you overpay to keep these guys because they didn't do it with Grinky? They didn't do it with Garrett Cole. Are they going to do it with Verlander? I don't know. Well, again, I mean, it, it depends on the management how they look at it. it. As long as they're going to be yanking starters in the sixth inning, they need to spend a little bit more on their middle relievers and and go easy on the starters. Look at the success that Kevin Cash has had. He started all this garbage. And what, what goes on is, you know, he sends more pitchers to the DL every year than any other manager. But <laughs> by, that's, that's a good line. You know, I, that's I mean, a good he, line. He does. Look at it. He does. The thing is, though, his analytic stuff with the no third time through the lineup, and, and you know, and, of course, he sticks with that 100-pitch count uh, religiously almost. It's not reducing injuries. It's just a matter of analytics and, and what gives you the best option. Reality, when you get down to it, okay, the Major League Baseball is trying to speed up games. They're trying to make things faster. They know they're, using the, they're losing the younger fans. And, it, and what's going on is the reason that the games are taking longer is, number one, a lot more strikeouts. But number two, the pitchers, you know, these two-out pitching changes, they're, it's almost unbearable sometimes. I, I watched over 100 Cardinals games this year, and all the two-out pitching changes, I mean, it was like it got to where you just knew it was going to happen at least twice a game. And um, 
you know, that's what we all want. We all want you know to go to a commercial in the middle of an inning, right? <laughs> so again, I, I think the uh, the starting pitchers just aren't worth that much anymore. And that kid in Florida threw six complete games that got the Cy Young. How many of those wins that he got would he not have gotten if the manager didn't let him finish those six games? And he had more complete games than most major league teams. Yep. That tells me you don't give $40 million to a starting pitcher. It's a great point by you, Randy. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day, my friend. You too. Thank you, sir. He brings up an immensely valid point. The game has changed. When I was a kid, and I'm assuming Randy and I are probably roughly the same age, your pitchers were expected to go eight innings. Maybe, maybe you had a couple of guys in the bullpen that could be your bridge guy or what we used to call a setup guy, right? Your starting pitcher goes seven innings. You hand it over. He tries to go into the eighth. He can't. So you hand it over to the setup guy who closes out the eighth inning. And then your closer comes in just for the ninth, and that's it. The game is not that way anymore. Now you're just hoping your starting pitcher can get through five innings. And then you hand it over to your bullpen. And Dusty did a masterful job of that in the postseason and all season long, where it was hand it over, hand it over. They had two combined no-hitters this year, one in the playoffs, one in the regular season. Multiple pitchers had to pitch in those games. The game has changed, and Randy brings up a good point. Are you really going to commit $40 million a year for a guy who's only going to pitch every five days? Especially when you have the depth that they do in their pitching. And I'll throw this else out there. Not surprised they didn't get Anthony Rizzo. The former Chicago Cub turned Yankee, who was a free agent. He decided to go back and sign a, a massive contract with the Yankees. Once again, business decision. Plus, you get to play for the pinstripers. So, you get to play for a contender and make a lot of money. Okay, makes a lot of sense. The Astros are in the need of a hitting first baseman. Yuli is not under contract. And Yuli had an awful, dreadful regular season. Had a great postseason, but was awful. You're going to have to spend money going out and getting yourself a first baseman. Is it is it more sensible for you as an Astros, once again, proving a year ago that you could make it all the way to the World Series without JV, spend that money on another first baseman, spend that money on another outfielder, maybe bringing Michael Brantley Jr. back, investing elsewhere, and go get you another pitcher that doesn't cost you as much as JV. Look, I get it. Verlander has been a key member of what this team has been able to do during this run. He's great. Future Hall of Famer. And who doesn't enjoy Kate Upton being around the team? I get it. Totally understand. But great organizations are able to move on from players and keep it moving. I think the Astros are that organization. Got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll keep taking your phone calls. Hotline's open, 337-706-0111. We'll talk a little Saints, a little Rams preview that matchup here from the Honey Badger and the latest New Orleans Saint to join the team, a new running back. 
That'll be next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously for me, I think personally, you know, I figure I have, you know, a few more than that. Um, you know, obviously, I uh, feel like I left a few out there too. Um, Seattle game, you know, the Ravens game, that whole shot. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the more turnovers you could create, um, you know, you usually kind of help your team, you know, win games. So, you know, I think defensively, you know, we just haven't done that at all. That's the honey badger. Tyron Matthew, former LSU star. He was supposed to come in, roll in, and help anchor this defense, and uh, not really. Two picks, but a bunch of missed tackles. Kind of all over the place. This defense has been disappointing. We spend so much time focused on the quarterback. Is it Jameis? Is it Andy? Who's it going to be? We really lose focus on what the biggest disappointment about this team is. It's not Michael Thomas's injury and him not being able to play because, let's be honest, we've been conditioned to see him not play for the last two years. We knew the offensive line was going to be in transition. They brought in Doug Marone to help fix it, and to a good party, he has done that. Last week, he had a bunch of guys that had no business even being in an NFL uniform actually being forced to start. So injuries took a role last week. But we knew that. Quarterback? We thought a healthy Jameis Winston with this team's defense. I said it on the air. I said, Michael Thomas back? Great. If they're healthy, you add Jarvis Landry. Healthy Jameis with that defense because I said the defense will lead this team. The defense will be the strength of this team. This team will take a while to figure out its offensive identity But while it does that, the defense will lead the team. That's the biggest disappointment. Not Michael Thomas's injury, not the inconsistent play and the injuries at quarterback. No. The biggest disappointment by far for the Saints has to be the defense. It was the strength of this team towards the tail end of the Drew Brees era. You have a lot of veterans. You bring in the Honey Badger. You bring in Marcus May. It's year two for Paulson Adebo. And it's been nothing but disappointment across the board. So when Honey Badger says, yeah, it's it's disappointing. The whole defense has been a disappointment. Can't tackle. Not writing coverage. Paulson Adebo looks like he's regressed. Marcus Davenport can't get onto the field, and he hasn't made an impact in a contract year nonetheless. David Onyemata? David who? Who's your mama? I don't know because I don't see him ever make a play. Pete Werner's out there trying his best to, to, him and DeMario are trying their best to lead this defense. But something that was supposed to be the team's biggest strength, 
The biggest strength of the New Orleans Saints 2022 team was supposed to be its defense. It has been its biggest Achilles heel. It's been the weakness of the team. It's been the downfall of this team. It's nowhere to be found. Nowhere. Nowhere to be found. With the exception of the game against the Raiders, and the Raiders are dreadful. Unbelievable. And we'd like to see more of a sense of urgency from this defense, wouldn't we? And Honey Badger was actually asked about this yesterday. Why are y'all still so calm, even with y'all being three and seven? And this is what the former LSU Tiger Heisman finalist had to say. Yeah, uh, I think mostly is, you know, I think we understand that, you know, we do have a talented team. Um, you know, I think sometimes the, the ball just doesn't bounce your way. Um, but I think spiritually, you know, I think we have enough, uh, you know, good guys in the locker room where, you know, um, you know we're not necessarily moping around. Uh, we're just trying to find a way. How can we, you know, get a win? All due respect to the honey badger. I got none but love for the, the badger. I don't care if these guys are good dudes. You know what I want on my team? Once again, I'm not a Saints fan, so I can look at this objectively. You know what I want on my team? I want dogs. I want dogs on my team. I want guys that are like a pit bull or Doberman pitcher that has been on a chain in a junkyard, and when they get let off their chain, they go and attack and attack and attack and attack. That's what I want on my team. That's what I want specifically on my defense. That's what I want. I, 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 don't, I don't need good vibes. I don't need good vibes. I don't need good spirits. I don't need, I don't need chill. them open around. I need, I want to win the game. Don't, no, the talent should be in your back pockets and your back burning your brain. Everyone's, in the front. Talented. Everyone's talented in the NFL. The NFL is the cream of the crop. It is the league with the top 1% best football players in the world playing the game. You wouldn't be drafted if you didn't have talent. They don't, they don't, they don't draft the people that sat on the bench their entire college career. The talented people. You played for LSU, sir. Like, like what, what are you doing? You played for LSU. You're a Heisman Trophy winner. That doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter where you went to college for. Because if you're in the NFL, you're the best of the best. Period. It doesn't matter where you went to school at. If you made it from college and you somehow found a way to get to the NFL and be a starter in the NFL, you are the best of the best. It doesn't matter what college you went to, five names. You're the best of the best because you're in the NFL, period. Yeah, but the thing is that he knows he, he knows what like what the standards are. He knows that it's not about good vibes. He's won a Super Bowl. It, yeah, <laughs> he won a Super Bowl with Kansas City. He understands what it is. He understands what it is. There's something with the locker room with this team with D.A. as the head coach. There just is. We've brought it up before. There seems to be too much of a relaxed vibe with this team. Where the head coach says, well, now there's a sense of urgency when it's three and seven. Sean Payton would never. And Sean Payton may have come off as a jerk, but he knew how to push his team. And he wasn't perfect. 
He made boneheaded decisions over and over again in games with his play calling. But his team played with fire, right? Where's the fire in the gut for this team? I think that's the biggest thing that's missing for me. You can get past turnovers. You can get past the other things that have happened with this team, right? Injuries happen. Turnovers happen. Where's the fire in the belly, man? Where's it at? Where's it at? I don't see it. I just don't. I don't see fire, and that concerns me at this point in the season where they're still talking about, oh, we got good guys and everything's cool and kumbaya. No, no, man. I, I, where's it at? That's my concern. Let's quickly head out to the hotline. Welcome on Ralph to the show. Ralph, it's been too long, brother. How you been, man? Hey, Ray, doing, doing pr- pretty good, man. I've been trying to lay low because of the uh, the Saints have just got me in a, in a funk this year. That, um, <laughs> I, I can understand. I can understand. I can understand, <laughs> I mean, brother. Seriously. But, but look, I can't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more with the, with the fire part because I watched Honey Badger, and I watched him at LSU. I watched him at Arizona. I watched him at Kansas City. This guy brought a spark to the team. He was a leader. He looks lost out there. He looks with he plays with no emotion. I'm gonna tell you what this team lost its its heart and soul on defense when when they traded Chauncey Gardner Johnson for nothing. It sure does feel that way, doesn't it? Yep. Oh my goodness. And and then you hear you know guys like Alvin Kamara say that you know they were making these same mistakes in training camp and it never got cleaned up. So yeah, obviously they should just go back to the Greenbrier because Dennis Allen is just running a, a, a five-star, uh, you know, comfortable resort-type training camp. I mean, um, you got to, you know, you, you can't start playing with the fire in your belly in week 11. It's, it's too late, brother. I mean, it, you know, you, you can't turn the switch on and off like that. You either have leaders or you don't. But, you know, I, I totally agree. Have you watched Peyton Turner get bounced around like a rag doll. Oh, the last he, game in particular, the wide receiver he, threw him around. Yes, the wide receiver. That's what I'm saying, and we invested a number one pick in this guy. You know, we, we you know, Marcus, well, look, you know, Davin Porsche has been a, you know, a big disappointment, and, and they have to let him walk. But you, you just, you know, I knew there was going to be some, some problems with the salary cap and all that because Mickey Loomis kept kicking the can down the road, kicking the can down the road. You know, trying to win that second ring, you eventually have to pay the piper. But when we lost, you know, when we uh, let Trey Hendrickson walk in free agency, couldn't pay him, couldn't keep him, couldn't keep a good young safety in Marcus Williams, even though he missed that one tackle that everybody focuses on, he was really solid back there. And then, you you know, I cannot imagine Chauncey Gardner-Johnson could be that much of a, a locker room cancer. I mean, you know, uh, well, I'm glad to hear we have a spiritual locker room, though. I'm glad that. (laughs) Oh, boy, that makes me feel better. Oh, Ralph, but I appreciate the phone call, brother. I got to let you go. I got to hit a timeout, but I appreciate it, man. Enjoy your day, bud. Take care. Yeah, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson leads the NFL in interceptions for a team that's the best team in the NFC. There it is. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports will join us. Sports betting expert. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. 
Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team and Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I wonder if the uh, players from the North Texas football team remembers that incident at Pato's back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, young younger Raymond could do that. I am not that guy anymore. 20 years ago, hanging out in New Orleans with a team that boldface told me, we don't even care that we just lost the game because we get to come to New Orleans that's all that matters to us while we're drinking hurricanes at Pato's. Yeah, I can't. I'm not that guy anymore. <laughs> uh, to be young. Great show so far today. Don't forget, keep voting on the poll question of the, of the day, which is all about the Astros, Justin Verlander. Should they pay Verlander whatever he wants to bring him back? Yes or no? We want to hear from you. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep them clean for the kids. Right now, though, it's time for us to look ahead. Two weeks left in the regular season for college football. What? Yeah, only two weeks left. And to give us some insight on what's going on from the sports betting side is our guy, the resident expert from Paramount Sports, Lee Sterling, joins us now. Lee, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. I can't complain. <laughs> How can you complain when you got so many just great games going on every weekend in college and pro football? Just crazy that, I mean, we're like, you know, like probably like 75% of the way through college football and just really two more weekends and then the championship weekend and then the bowl games. Just sad to see it go by so quickly. Let me ask you this. Before we look at the games, yep. how difficult is a week like this? It's late in the season. And this is kind of like the last week for non-conference games, essentially, right? Where you got yeah. Alabama playing Austin P, LSU's playing UAB, right. right? So you're playing teams that are, you know, down a weight class, so to speak. But it's also late in the season. Some guys may be starting yeah. to opt out. Some teams may be starting to rest their guys because they want to save them for the regular season finale or for a bowl game. How difficult is it to to get the betting lines and be able to bet on a weekend like this coming up? It, it's more difficult. You bring up a good point. It, it makes me work a lot harder, me and my staff. So, yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, there are just – and then the injuries. I mean, everyone, it seems like, is questionable now. So, you know, there's some guys – I've seen some teams have four guys questionable, three out of four, all four don't play. And then some other teams, you know, they all play. So – uh, that's why it just takes some more work on our part. And um, there's sometimes if, if we don't have, you know, a, a good idea if a quarterback's going to start or not, we just sit that one out. There's, there's plenty of other games. So sometimes this time of year we might cut down our plays, um, you know, for the entire week and for the entire Saturday. Nothing wrong with playing, you know, five, six games as opposed to eight or nine. Well, let's start off with some of that action. Yeah. And let's start off with Florida State. Mike Norvell's done a nice job in year three. It finally started to take. They've, they've turned a corner there in Tallahassee. 
He has them ranked in the top 20 in the college football playoff rankings. And they're welcoming the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, who got probably their best performance last Thursday against Georgia Southern, where they take down the number one ranked offense in the Sun Belt, hold them to only 17 points, dominate in all three phases. They got upset on their mind. They're trying to get bowl eligible as well, but it's a tough task to have to go to Tallahassee to do so. Seminoles are a 24-point favorite. What do you make of that line? It's going to be tough. I mean, you talk about how Florida State's put it together, not just on the scoreboard. They have a 1,516 to 512-yard advantage here in the last three games. So they've been dominant. Their offense last year was just up and down, uh, but this year they ranked 10th and 16th in total offense and also defense, so they're doing it on both sides of the ball. Um, they're gaining confidence, too. They've scored at least 38 points in each of the last three games. And remember, Louisiana has not played a Power 5 school, and I just think they're probably – it might be tight for a while. Then the depth and the speed is probably a little too much here. Just a little too good at the skill positions. I like Florida State here, 38-10. You like the Seminoles to cover there. Let's go yep. to another game, and this is not – Two teams, you know, this is not a team playing a group of five school or an FCS school. This is a team playing in its own division in the SEC, Tennessee, South Carolina. I can't understand the Gamecocks, Lee, uh, uh, from a betting point of view. They, they seem to be infuriating because one week they look good and the next week they look just awful and just have meltdowns. They're a 21-point dog to the volunteers who are vying to be into the college football playoff. How do you like this game between the Volunteers and the Gamecocks? So Tennessee, I thought, played extremely well last week. So they I think they realized a week too late that in the rain you can't do a lot of uh, slow-forming plays down the field. And I think they looked at the film and they said, okay, this is how teams are going to try to defense us, and, and, and we're going to change some things. And so I like that. Uh, I, I think that they've got playmakers all over the field. And they say, you know what, we're going to get it to our, our playmakers, our receivers, and, and space and let them do something with it. So now I think they are clicking on all cylinders. Had one bad game. And, and South Carolina just two up and down. Spencer Rattler has all of two touchdown passes in SEC play. So um, South Carolina defense also gave up 374 rushing yards last week to Florida. This week, versus the Vols, they might give up 474 passing yards. I like Tennessee big, 48-20. And I also think Tennessee is going to try to get as many style points as possible here in the last couple of weeks because yep. they can't play in the championship game for the SEC. But, but here's what's great as far as they're concerned. They went out, and I think they're in. I, th I think you may be right. I think they may, they may put them in over – whoever loses Michigan-Ohio State. And Michigan's going to have yeah. its hands full against and Illinois The only on way I think Michigan-Ohio State loser ends up getting in is if it's a game like, you know, 24-23 or goes to overtime, something like that, a game for the ages. It very well could be, especially between those two rivals. Let's keep it going. Right. One of the closest games point spread-wise is Ole Miss versus Arkansas Razorbacks. Boy, they had a great defensive game plan against LSU. Their offense, though, isn't very good. Plus, Harold Perkins Jr. is an absolute monster for LSU. Ole Miss looking to kind of keep things going, so to speak, after the disappointing loss to Alabama where they kind of let that one get away from them. 
Point spread's only three in favor of the Rebs. Do you like that point spread? So I think they might have left it on the field in that game. Remember, uh, they had a week to get ready for that game. Alabama was also coming off that overtime loss to LSU and still somehow won. So uh, they're an eight-win team. And I think they're just kind of playing out the string right now. Uh, they have the game against uh, their rival, Mississippi State, coming up on a short week. Arkansas uh, caught LSU coming off that Alabama game and, and nearly beat LSU uh, despite playing with two, I think, just awful quarterbacks, Kate Fortin and Malik Hornsby. So uh, those two guys are really limited. And I think Jefferson looks like will be back for this game here. And... I think Arkansas is going to maybe let it all hang out. Wrong team favorite, Arkansas with the upset here, 35-28. And Sam Pittman's team's also vying to get bowl eligible as well after yep. a disappointing season, so they got plenty to play for. Let's go to Georgia, Kentucky. Uh, boy, man, the wheels have just come off for the Wildcats this season. Ranked team to begin it. They have a projected you know, top 10 draft pick at quarterback, and uh, they, they lost to Vanderbilt. They lost to Vandy last week. The Wildcats, Big Blue, not feeling good about themselves. Georgia Bulldogs, boy, they're on cruise control as they set their sights for the SEC championship game. Dogs are a 22-point favorite. Boy, it sure does feel like they're going to cover that and more to me, Lee. So you're getting a huge line here because Georgia dominated Tennessee and Mississippi State last two weeks, and Kentucky lost to Vanderbilt. If Georgia had a couple close games and Kentucky wins by two, three touchdowns, you're looking at probably 16.5, 17-point line. Remember, when you get a team in the top three or four, you're usually paying a couple extra points if you want to bet them. Uh, I, I, I just think that Kentucky got win number six, and then they relaxed. And they saw those games with Georgia and Louisville on their schedule, and they overlooked Vanderbilt. It happens sometimes. To, to stay in this game, they need Will Levis to play at a high level, or Chris Rodriguez to play out of his mind. And I think there's a chance either one of these two guys can do it. Both teams, believe it or not, are 15-5 and five against the spread to the under. So probably not going to see a 48-28 game. Kentucky, 16-6 and six against the spread run here at home. Last year with the defense that comes around every maybe decade or two decades, Georgia – only won the game 30-13 to and did not cover. I think Georgia wins 31-17, but I like Kentucky to cover here. All right, let's go to the final college game, and that's LSU-UAB. Tigers offense wasn't very good, but Josh Williams, boy, he can sure can run the football as a former walk-on, mm-hmm. turned their lead back. They wrap up their last non-conference game against UAB, a team with an interim coach, 14-point favorite the Tigers are do you think that's enough you know this is a trap game here I mean (laughs) uh, LSU obviously uh, started real slow against Arkansas and it can happen again here UAB has nothing to lose they're five and five they have no conference USA championship hopes here so they're going to let it all hang out when Dylan Hopkins plays he's missed a couple games they have not been the same, but they got three receivers that are averaging more than 14 yards per reception here. I, I think that 
LSU is going to come into this game. They're going to be looking ahead to Texas A&M. Um, you know, most people around the country don't realize the kind of rivalry that's starting to develop there. They recruit against each other. A lot of the kids know each other. And um, they're just not going to get excited watching tape of UAB and, and knowing that's their game. So, um UAB, I think, is going to be able to run enough here, too, I think, to keep it close. I think uh, LSU wins this game 31-27, to but UAB is going to put a scare into the Tigers on Saturday. And that'll be the worst thing for Texas A&M the next week. <laughs> right. Probably, All right, bud. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Only got about 30, uh, 30 seconds or so, but uh, what's your yeah. free play of the weekend? Free play, they want to get it. How about this game? New Orleans and the Rams. Must-win game for the Saints. Can they win it? Get it for free, 800-400-9741. Call that number now. And we have our Baker's Dozen, 13 games Saturday and Sunday, just $97, including our college football underdog play of the year, 45-unit shocker. You want to get it, $97 for all 13 games. Get it right now, ParamountSports.com. We're red hot. Lee, appreciate your time, bud. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite quartz and marble here in Acadiana, and they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you many times before, Chris and his team over at LMG provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their new line of grout-free showers. That's right, no muss, no fuss, and guess what? No stinky odor after a few years. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com, to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the jockey lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Poll question of the day. Should the Astros pay Justin Verlander whatever he wants? Once again, he's a free agent. He just won his third Cy Young Award, unanimous in doing so, coming off Tommy John surgery and winning it at the age of 39. Miraculous season for JV. But he's going to want three, four-year deal, around $100 million. Should the Astros pay Verlander whatever he wants? 64% of you say no. 36% say yes. Mr. Green says, uh, no, I mean, he's great, but postseason play isn't stellar, and he's not as young as he thinks he is, hot wife or not. <laughs> Keep those comments coming on the poll question of the day. Hour number two is done. Hour number three, we'll kick it off with Lessies. That's next, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Do 
During our timeout, the producer extraordinaire and I had a conversation about favorite guests that come on this show. We had a lengthy discussion about it. Bingo card. Go ahead. A lengthy discussion. And you know who made the list as one of the favorite guests for the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, since she's been working here? By the way, celebrating her year anniversary soon with us as the morning show producer. By the way, that's coming up. Our next guest. I love Les East. Yes! I can always count on this man to start off with, I'm doing well, Raymond, how are you? And ending it with, thanks, Raymond, every time. You want to know why? Why? Because Les is a pro. He is a pro. He's a pro's pro. He's one of the first guys I ever got to come on the radio with yours truly. We ran into each other multiple times at events as print journalists. And I was like, well, Les knows his stuff. Let me ask him if he'll come on to the show. And sure enough, I did almost you know four years ago. And <laughs> here we are. Les, how's it feel to be so loved by the folks here in Lafayette, Louisiana, bud? Good, Raymond. How do you feel? <laughs> feel great, bud. Feel great. All right, so I, I got I to gotta admit something to you. Our, our girl here. For the first time since she's been doing this show, you know, she's so sweet and, you know, laid back and everything. When she heard Dennis Allen speak about now in week after week 10 needing a sense of urgency, she lost her mind, Les, and she grabbed the microphone and was yelling the other day. (laughs) So I'm just letting you know, when we talk about Dennis Allen this morning, she may interject with her frustrations about uh, what he's doing as the head uh, football coach of the Black and Gold. I'm just giving you fair warning. Well, I can understand that feeling. <laughs> so let, let, let's start there because I, I, I'm confused. How does a guy who's in charge of the football team all of a sudden say now there needs to be a sense of urgency why wasn't there a sense of urgency when this team started off through its first three games or four games or five games? Why is there now a sense of urgency when they're three and seven and look lost? That's the point I don't understand of his philosophy where it goes. He said in the press conference earlier this week, Les, to you guys was, well, you know, the message was just to have fun, but now there needs to be a sense of urgency. Well, why wasn't there a sense of urgency a month ago? Well, I don't, you know, I'm assuming that they were trying to establish a sense of urgency earlier. The the context of that answer was um, Juwan Johnson had come into the interview room first, and he had said that Allen's message last week was, you know, to try and get things turned around, remember that this is a fun game. This is what you've enjoyed doing since you were a little kid. Don't lose that fun because then you're really going to be in trouble. You need to continue to have fun, and that will uh, hopefully help you turn things around. And when he was asked about Johnson's comments, he said, yeah, that was my message last week. Don't lose, um, you know, don't forget that this is a fun game 
because it's important to play it that way. But this week, the message is we have to focus more on the fact that we have to get a win and that we need to have a sense of urgency. So, you know, I don't think he was saying that, oh, we suddenly realized at three and seven that we have to have a sense of urgency. I think he was trying to explain his message to the team within that context. And when you're three and seven, every word gets parsed, and uh, sometimes it looks worse than it really is. I I don't think the message was that they suddenly realized that they have to have a sense of urgency, and they didn't realize that at three and six. Okay. That's fair. You're giving us some context here, and and her blood pressure isn't going through the roof. But the way this team has played through the first 10 weeks of the season, does there appear to be any sense of urgency from what you're seeing on the field on how this team is prepared and how this team is executing? Well, I think there was a sense of urgency against the the Raiders. I think that was the theme that entire week was that, you know, we have to – get back to who we are and we have to go back and and play and and get a win and they did that but they haven't done it since and i think that's partly because the raiders are a terrible team and then they played baltimore which is a very good team and then they played pittsburgh which was not a good team but one that was coming off a bye week and has a very good coach and got two defensive starters back from injury and so you know, I, I think that's part of it is they've been playing these last few weeks. But, no, they, they look like a team that's lost. They Not just losing games, but just like, a, you know, lost in the woods. They don't uh, – I don't think they have a sense of direction. And uh, I don't know what they're going to hang their hat on to try and get it turned around because the offense – is not very good. The defense is not very good, and uh, they're just not doing anything well. They're turning it over. They're not taking it away. They're committing penalties, and uh, they just seem lost. They're a bad football team. I mean, let's call it what it is, right? I know, I know. A lot of fans kept moving the goalpost around less. With well, you know, we're only a game out of the division. We're only this. We can still be a playoff team, and but. But you get to a certain point in the season where you go, this is what this team is. They're undisciplined. They commit way too many penalties. They don't stop the run. They miss tackles. They don't force turnovers. They turn over the ball too much on offense. And they don't get the ball in their playmaker's hands. Well, those are six things right there that make you a bad football team. And the Saints have done that week after week. I mean, we just have to admit it that this is a bad football team, right? Well, yeah, that was the theme of the column I wrote for Crescent City Sports after the game on Sunday, is they have all the hallmarks of a bad football team, and there's no way around it. They're 3-7 and seven because they're a 3-7 and seven team. They have played poorly 70% of the time, and they've played well enough to win 30% of the time. By definition, that makes you a bad football team. You know, it was Bill Parcell says, said you are what your record says you are that's that's the only reason you play the game is to find out who's better on any given day and the other team has been better 70 percent of the time so they are a bad football team for all the reasons you listed and all the ones i listed 
in my column, and uh, it, it's not a fluke. They've earned it. Les, the other thing that stands out to me about this team, and, and we can talk about all the, the X's and O's stuff and the things they don't do and, and the stats and everything like that, with the exception of the Raiders game and the comeback win against the Falcons, where's the fire in the belly? I just don't see it. Just from a objective point of view, I'm not a Saints fan, right? I look at this differently. I look Like you, I come from print media, right? So I look at this as an old-school beat reporter or columnist would. I don't see fire in the belly in this team consistently like we did for years. Why is that? Well, you know, that's a tricky thing because when you're playing bad, you don't see that. It looks Everything looks worse when you're losing. Everything looks better when you're winning. I was watching that game Sunday in Pittsburgh, and I thought for the first quarter and a half or so, the defense was playing with emotion. It wasn't playing great, but it was playing fairly well. They were flying to the football. They missed some tackles, but they were very aggressive. They were uh, congratulating one another. They they had energy, I thought. And then the offense was so bad, defense was on the field for 38 minutes, and it wore them down. And they lost that that energy and uh, that fire. And I think, uh, you know, if you go back and look at the, the video from the first quarter or so, you would say that they were playing hard. And they kind of lost it as the game went along. And what stands out is you see how they play when they get down two scores in the fourth quarter and you think they don't have any energy or any passion or any fire. And I think sometimes that gets skewed a little bit when you're losing. I think they started the game the right way last week, but they got beaten. And as it went along, things got worse and worse. So, uh, you know, I just think that's what happens when you're losing. Uh, I, I don't think they're losing because they don't have fire. I think they lose their fire when they start losing it once again. It's a good point. It's a good point. We're talking with Les East of ChristmasCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. I look at the injury report yesterday, and and yet again, it's it's almost two pages long, and so many guys limited. So many guys banged up, and they're facing a team on Sunday that is banged up too and struggling. Cooper Cup's not going to be able to go. We still don't know if Matthew Stafford is going to be able to go for the Rams. They The Rams look lost, Super Bowl hangover, the whole nine yards. But the Saints are even more injured and even more banged up than the Rams are. I, it, What do you give their chances Sunday to actually get a win and try to get back on track? Oh, I don't know. The Rams are terrible. Uh, Matthew Stafford did practice fully yesterday, so apparently he's out of concussion protocol, so I would expect he would play. But they lost two starting offensive linemen last week. They're not going to play. Um, and Cooper Cup catches, you know, you know, ten passes a game. That's a huge loss for them. These are two bad teams. These are two beat up teams. Uh, I have no idea what's going to happen. I assume uh, one team will turn the ball over more than the other, and then they'll lose. Chances are that'll be the Saints because that's become their forte: is turning it over more than the other team. This is a team that still has Aaron Donald. 
The Saints are going to be down probably at least three starting offensive linemen. Uh, they still have bad quarterback play. Uh, Stafford, even though he, he might not be 100%, he is a good quarterback. This is a team that won the Super Bowl in February. I would think based on muscle memory alone, they would be able to make enough plays to win the game. But these are two bad, uh, beat-up football teams, and anything could happen. Let's switch gears to the Pelicans. They've now won three in a row and been able to kind of get things rolling and have done so without Zion. What's standing out to you in these three games for the Pels? Well, I think it's what we saw earlier when they were playing well, and that, that's the depth and the uh, willingness to share the basketball and share the scoring. They had six players in uh, double figures last night, even though the leading score didn't play. And uh, they had, I think, six not the night before. They made uh, 18 three-pointers on Tuesday night. They made 17 last night on just 33 attempts. And like 28 assists on 43 field goals, I believe, last night. Brandon Ingram had nine assists. So they're, they're sharing the basketball. People are taking advantage of opportunities. You know, young players are coming through. Uh, Trey Murphy, the third was outstanding last night, his first double-double uh, in his two-year career. Uh, Jose Alvarado continues to be outstanding off the bench. Dyson Daniels is getting minutes. So I think it's the depth and the, the way that they're playing together uh, that's been significant these last two games. I think tomorrow night's going to be a really interesting game. Celtics have the best record in the Eastern Conference. They've won eight in a row. Uh, they were playing without two of their top scorers last night, and they, they beat Atlanta by 25. So uh, you're going to have two teams playing tomorrow night that are playing well and playing uh, unselfishly, and I think well, that will be a real test for the Pelicans. But the way they played the last two games and most of the games Saturday night against Houston has been really impressive. Not as impressive as, impressive as what you bring to the table every week, bud. Thank you so much for your time. We're off next week for Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, brother. Uh, thanks, Raymond. Same to you and to uh, Anna. That's our guy, Les East from CrescentCitySports.com, breaking down Saints, breaking down the pills for us, as always. Hey, I need to tell you about something. It's exciting. Lyle Lovett, yes, the Lyle Lovett and his acoustic group are coming to the Hyman Performing Arts Center on Friday, February 24th. And you're not going to want to miss this incredible night of live music. If you haven't seen live uh, Lyle in person, you need to do so. It's an absolute treat. Pre-sale tickets go on sale this morning. That's going to start at 10 a.m. Go ahead, get your mind right. Pre-sale, 10 a.m. this morning. Get your tickets at www.com. Ticketmaster.com. That's www.ticketmaster.com. And you can use the pre sale code Lyle. L Y L E. Lyle. Once again, get your pre sale tickets today, this morning, to see Lyle Lovett and his acoustic group at the Hyman Performing Arts Center. Visit Ticketmaster.com and use the pre sale code Lyle. Man, that's going to be a good show. That's probably going to sell out. Get your tickets today. Once again, pre-sale starts at 10 a.m. 
and we got the code for you. Use the pre-sale code Lyle to get your tickets to see Lyle Lovett and his acoustic group at the Hyman Performing Arts Center on Friday, February 24th. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Gary Goff, that's right, the man in charge of the McNeese Cowboys, they coming off a road victory, their first conference win of the season. We'll catch up with Coach and talk all about it. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Make that two in a row for the McNeese Cowboys. After some early season struggles, Gary Goff's team has turned things around, winning two straight, including this past weekend when they recorded their first road victory of the season, as well as their first conference win of the season, a hard-fought 21-10 win at Houston Christian. They wrap up the regular season this Saturday in the hole against the border rival Lamar. Kickoff set for 7 o'clock. Gary Goff now joins us here on RP3 and Company. Coach, good morning and congratulations on the road victory, sir. Hey, I appreciate it. Well, let's talk. Finally got the road win, and I know that's important, especially in year one, for these guys to be able to buy in and, and believe that they can win a game on the road because that is one of the more difficult things to do in college football. Just assess how your team was able to respond to some moments in that game that didn't go their way and be able to gut out a, a tough win. Yeah, no, um, you know, it was a great victory, and I really think the team is starting to uh, learn how to play complementary football and, uh, you know, offense playing for defense, vice versa, and then for special teams. And, um, you know, Saturday was a challenge uh, partly because of, you know, our opponent, but partly because of the uh, conditions. We had 25-mile-an-hour wind gusts, and uh, we're standing there pregame watching our punters punt, and uh, as they're kicking, the ball's only going about 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. You know, so um, I knew it was going to be a game where we had to, you know, really focus on uh, field position and, uh, you know, be careful with the football at times. And the game kind of didn't didn't really start that way. You know, we um, we had an interception thrown early that was not uh, Ryan Roberts' fault at all. It bounced off receivers' hands, um, and then we had a, a drop touchdown early, which bounced off the receivers' hands. So, you know, early on, you know, I just felt like we weren't really making. Uh, plays to help out our quarterback in his first career start because there, there is a difference from coming off the bench in a game and playing and then going into the week preparing as a starter so we were all kind of uh you know anxious to see how ryan would respond to that and and he did a good job he just didn't have a whole lot of help early on um you know so the interceptions really weren't his fault it bounced off players hands but um because of that and the win conditions we really relied on the run game the offense line has done a phenomenal job the last two weeks and uh, our running backs have done a great job all season long, and, and um, yeah, thank goodness we're, we're pretty deep in that room. Let's talk about that depth because you had two guys that absolutely balled out. One we've talked about a ton on this show this season, Deontay McMahon, but the other young man stepped up, came in off the bench, and was actually named the Southland Conference Offensive Player of the Week and the LSWA Offensive Player of the Week. Talk about that young man and having his number called and delivering for you, Coach. Yeah, no, Marcus McElroy um, is a really good player and uh, a really, really good person. Uh, here's a young man that transferred here before I got here. He, he was signed by the previous staff and um, got here, I mean, literally maybe a week before I did, or signed with us a week before I got here. And, um, you know, he has been a workhorse all season long. He's had a great attitude. He hasn't complained about anything and kind of sat back in the back and, and waited his turn. Now, you know, a lot of people might wonder, you know, hey, how come we haven't seen more of him? 
Well, Deontay's the uh, conference leading uh, rusher. You know, he's he's just under 1,200 yards, um, and is an electric player. And you know, every chance we get, we're going to give him the ball because he's he's just a uh, dynamic. But you know, there hasn't been any complaining from uh, Marcus at all. He's, he's had an unbelievable attitude, and you know, so I, I praised him in front of the team. You know, this week uh, about you know that that's what it's called uh, being a teammate, being a great teammate, and just waiting for your opportunity and. Saturday, his number was called. We needed him. You know, uh, Deontay got a little banged up, and Marcus stepped in and ended up having two touchdowns and rushed for 138 yards and just had a great game. So, um, you know, just speaks kudos to that that young man for just uh, having a great, great attitude when you know he easily could have not. You are running the football at a ridiculous pace, Coach. Just in case you didn't know, in case you didn't know your own team stats, I'm going to educate yeah. you a little bit here. You are averaging five yards a carry as a team and 193.7 yards per game on the ground. Did you think when you took over this job and you were going through spring drills and you went through fall camp that you guys would be able to be a dominant rushing attack? Well, I mean, I love what we do in the run game. I really do. Um, And we knew Deontay was going to be an electric player. But, you know, in the spring, we didn't have D'Angelo Durham yet. Um, you know, we knew Marcus was, was a solid running back as well. But, um, you know, th- there's no secret. We, we've leaned on the running game just because we've had struggles with quarterback and, and receiver position. Uh, but, you know, I, I said from the very beginning that, uh, you know, obviously I'm the air raid guy. I, I call the plays. I throw it every down if I could. Um, but I wasn't going to force something that we just weren't able to do. Winning is more important than your stats. So, um, that's what we've done. We're, we've uh, been protecting the football uh, in, in the run game. Uh, we haven't been protecting the football in the passing game. And, and when uh, your receivers aren't making plays for you, you you've got to adjust and, and find a way to win. And that's what we've been doing here the last several weeks. And at the same time, we got a young man who's never started a college football game, had his first start last week at quarterback. Uh, so we were, we were being careful with him. And you know, we're going to have our calculated shots, but um, our strength of the offense right now is that O-line room and the running back room, so we've got to lean on them. You can also lean on that offensive line because they have really strived to make improvements throughout the season. Now, obviously, you figured out that your O-line is got some maulers on there, right? They like to run block, and most O-linemen prefer to run block over pass protect anyway. When did you know during the season that you had an offensive line that could be really good at opening up holes for your backs? Well, you know, we had a lot of missed opportunities first part of the season, um, you know, and, and some of that we didn't have one of our seniors out there until the midway point, and that was Karan Coleman. Uh, he, he missed the first five weeks. And then, uh, you know, he gets back, and, you know, he's a little rusty. You know, hadn't played a college football game in, in over a year and uh, didn't go through much of camp, didn't go through any of spring ball. So, you know, it's one thing being in the classroom teaching these young men our calls and, and techniques, but it's another thing you know being able to go on the field and actually do them and learn from your mistakes of practice. So, unfortunately, he, he learned you know through some games, um, and, and then he's he's played a lot better the last several weeks. But I'd say, um, you know, I, I was really proud of how the offensive line played in that southeastern game, and, and I really think from that moment forward, they continue to uh, you know develop you know more and more confidence in themselves and trust amongst each other on that O-line group. And, um, you know, so I, I think they're doing a really good job. They're starting to learn now, uh, hey, here's the front that we believe we're going to see. They've shown it on film. 
but also understand the other side, they coach as well, and they might do something different. Well, now when we're seeing some different things in the game, they're, e- they're able to adjust to it a lot easier than they have been, and, and that's, that's very, very important. Who knew that the guy from the air raid coaching tree would be able to be Woody Hayes with three yards and a cloud of dust <laughs> here in Lake Charles? Not, I've, I think I've lost my air raid card, but that's okay. We're doing what's necessary to win. That's all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, Coach. That's all that matters. You, you know, and Look, you and I have talked about that uh, before the start of the season and, and throughout the season, adjusting your scheme to fit the personnel, and you've done a really nice job of that as the season has progressed. All right, let's talk about the finale. It's Saturday going to be a nice crowd on hand an old rival comes to town and it's so important for your team right to end the season strong you've won back-to-back games but hey let's make it three in a row get to that four win plateau and end the season with three straight wins how important is it to set the tone for the offseason by getting a win Saturday night in the hole well I think it's very important it's very important for you know, us to continue to grow as a program, to go into that offseason, uh, knowing that we finished on a high note or at least moving in the right direction. Uh, but it's also very important for recruiting, you know. Um, yeah, you know, but th- this weekend, you know, it's, it's still going to be about the Cowboys and how we, we attack the field. And it's going to be a lot to do with our, our seniors, you know. And, and we want our seniors to leave here on a high note. Um, you know, this football team has been very resilient. They've been through a lot. We've, we've had some of the strangest injuries I've ever been a part of as, as a coach. Um, and we've had some just uh, the ball just didn't bounce our way that many times, but these young men have still hung in there, continue to work hard with a great attitude day in, day out. So, you know, we need to carry that into the off offseason um, and continue to grow it on that. And I think, you know, a win Saturday will really help us, you know, set the foundation of the program for the direction it's going um, and give our young guys a lot of excitement and a lot to look, you know, to work, you know, towards. Uh, going into the off season, <clears throat> I know you and your staff have already broken down the tape. You know what you're going to be seeing come Saturday. Uh, what does Lamar do uh, really well, and what are you game planning for, Coach? Well, I do think Lamar plays hard. You know, they're they're playing a lot of young guys as well. You know, um, you know, on defense alone, they they got seven sophomores and three true freshmen playing. So, um, you know, a, another team that's playing a lot of young guys that um, has had a difficult season. But, um, you know, I expect them to come in here and defensively try to keep everything in front of them, you know, and uh, you know, stop the run, but at the same time, you know, play off and keep everything in front of them so they don't give up explosive plays. They've, they've kind of shown that on film. And then uh, offensively, you know, they, they like to spread you out. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to a little bit more spread than what they have been in years past. But uh, I, don't, I don't know if, um, you know, they're, they're ex- extremely happy with, you know, what they're, they're, they're doing as far as throwing the ball right now either. So, They've been running the ball quite a bit the last three or four weeks as well. So, um, offensively, I imagine them doing that, spreading us out. They're playing two quarterbacks. Um, you know, one is extremely athletic, so they're going to try to get him in space and let him run some and then take their shots as well. But um, they try to hang on to the football. You know, they try to use the clock and, um, you know, speed up the game. So, I, I expect them to do that. Coach? Appreciate your time. As always, congrats on the road win, and best of luck come Saturday night. Hopefully you'll be able to get that third straight win and fourth overall and really put an explanation point on this foundation season. Thank you for your time, as always, brother. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. Tune in next Thursday for Giddy Up with Gary Goff here on RP3 and Company. In Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface, and sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole, 
to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, really doesn't matter what it may be, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year. And there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple. It's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, wants to remind you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. we got to take a timeout here on RP3 and Company, but when we return, we're going to talk more college football with Chris Vanini of The Athletic. He's scheduled to join us. Next, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Alexa and The Game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, The Game, Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. College football regular season is coming to an end. We've only got two weeks left. This week, we have a bunch of matchups that aren't exactly uh, thrilling. As you got, you know, Alabama playing Austin P on the schedule and some other not exactly competitive ball games, but plenty of interesting storylines going on in college football as we head down the stretch run here of the regular season and to share his thoughts and give his perspective is one of the best in the business. The college football reporter columnist from the athletic Chris Vanini joins us now, Chris, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you making the time. All right. So give me your reaction to how the committee is kind of setting things up for the college football playoffs, because I, I, Look, they've positioned certain teams in a way. And, you know, we got Tennessee at five, LSU at six, USC at seven. Clemson is, you know, doesn't look like they're going to have a chance. They're even behind a two-loss Alabama team. Uh, What do you make of how the committee has voted uh, through the first few weeks here of the college football playoff rankings? It tells me that they really value strength of schedule at least in this year. You see that with Michigan being at number three behind Ohio State and the comments they've made about them. You see that with Clemson behind Alabama. You see that with Tennessee up at five. You see that with North Carolina outside the top ten despite only having one loss. It seems to me that the committee this year uh, is really valuing strength of schedule, and especially if you didn't play anybody in the non-conference like like Michigan or some other people, that you get dinged for that a little bit. And that could come into play if Michigan loses to Ohio State or something like that, and you've got some, some more teams on the bubble. We've got a clear top four right now. It's pretty obvious. But one of Michigan and Ohio State's going to lose, and there could be some other things that, that come and go. Do you believe that if Ohio State loses a close game, they're still in the playoff field, but if Michigan loses, they're out? 
Yes, right now. That also depends on what happens with the Notre Dame-USC game there next it is. week. If, if, if Notre Dame beats USC, then that win, that, then Ohio State could even be in a better position to, to lose. Um, Illinois, Michigan plays Illinois this week. A couple weeks ago, that looked like it was going to be a good win. Now, not so much. And so the, those things have kind of changed. And it's very possible that at the end of this, Michigan's only good win is Penn State, and that's it. And while Ohio State would have Penn State on the road and Notre Dame. So that's why, yes, it depends what could play out, but Ohio State will be in a better position most likely to afford a loss than Michigan. If we have a scenario, Chris, where, say, Georgia wins the SEC, and that would obviously eliminate LSU from the conversation, and they would punch, you know, they would punch their ticket, Ohio State beats Michigan, they're in. TCU is in if they win out and win the Big 12 championship. So those are three of your four spots. What does the committee do next if, say, USC wins out and wins the Pac-12 championship? Do they take them over a one-loss Tennessee team? That's the big question. And, you know, USC right now, they don't have any good wins. You know, speaking of strength of schedule, like they, they, they really haven't beaten anybody, but their one loss was close to uh, Utah. Now, if USC beats UCLA this week, beats Notre Dame next week, beats Oregon or whoever in the Pac-12 championship game, then all of a sudden you've got three good wins back on your resume. So USC in three weeks could look a lot different than USC now. That said, I'm not exactly confident USC is going to win all three of those games because their defense has struggled mightily. The Pac-12 is very strong at the top. UCLA could get them, Notre Dame could get them, or Oregon or whoever could get them in the championship game. So a lot of things could change. But if USC wins out and they've got three decent wins on there, it's going to be hard to leave them out because the committee really tries to value conference championships. So that being said, Chris, what does your gut tell you, your instinct, your intellect on how you've seen these teams play the last final two weeks of the regular season and then we have championship, the championship weekend as well? Who do you think is going to be in the playoff? I think Georgia is going to beat LSU. I think, I think Michigan is going to beat Ohio State right now. I... I I, I lean toward TCU winning out. And then I think USC drops the game and Tennessee gets in. I think that, like, if I had to pick right now, is, is most likely that's what I'm going with. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, Tennessee. But that could be very wrong even a week from now. Yeah, because as you mentioned, you know, a, a team, I've mentioned that LSU could be the agent of chaos here for college football as yeah. the you know the only two loss team if and that's a big what if right they they have to get past georgia which is a monumental uh, a task in itself but if they do if 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 lsu goes 10 and 2 into the sec championship game and beats the dogs they'll become the first two loss team in the playoff right correct but you would still have georgia yeah. in there as well well, that's where it gets weird because LSU 
beats Georgia, Georgia beats Tennessee, Tennessee beats LSU. Like, how do you figure (laughs) that out? Ultimately, especially because the champion has the two losses. Ultimately, I think they would take LSU because I don't think they're not going to take the SEC champion who has wins over Georgia and Alabama. I think LSU would get in. And then between Georgia and Tennessee, it's tough. Like, you, like, I know Georgia beat Tennessee, and theoretically that should be it. But you can make a case that, hey, Tennessee beat LSU who's in the playoff. Tennessee beat uh, Alabama. Tennessee's uh, got some more, some more wins. But Georgia's got the Oregon win. Georgia beat Tennessee. It could be close. I think Georgia would probably get the edge there. But I do think Tennessee would still have a chance. I do think LSU, if they win – would get in though we're talking with chris vanini of the athletic he covers college football he joins us here on rp3 and company i want to talk about alabama and clemson because the playoffs have essentially had them in it nearly every season right and they've been a big part of that they won't be part of that this year unless the the nuclear option goes off to pave the way for clemson to somehow get in there i don't see it obviously alabama's not going to be into the playoff and I see a lot of obituaries for Dabo Sweeney at Clemson and Nick Saban at Alabama. But with playoff expansion coming, Chris, if the playoffs were expanded this year, you know who would be in the playoffs still? It'd still be Clemson. It'd still be Alabama. Uh, do you believe it's premature to write the obits for Dabo at Clemson and Saban at Alabama? Yeah, they're, they're not going anywhere. I think it's – it's a little bit different with each. Alabama's still a top 10 program, could still finish this season top five. But I think what we've noticed is that there are more holes than we thought. And yep. I was somebody who said in the, in the summer, in the offseason, Alabama's never going to have a hole on the roster again because they can go get a wide receiver from Georgia. They can get the running back, Jameer Gibbs, from Georgia Tech. They can get an offensive lineman from Vanderbilt who's pretty good. And they'll never have holes on the roster. Well, despite those additions, they're, they're very much struggling wide receiver. They're struggling in the, in the defensive backfield relative to what Alabama typically is. And so maybe there are more issues on that team than we think. What's going to happen next year when Bryce Young is, is gone? And I think back to Kirby Smart, who said over and over again this year, Georgia didn't take a transfer. They didn't add anybody. Georgia's player development it's a lot better than Alabama's right now. And so I think that's something you got to look at if you're Alabama. Clemson's a bit different. Clemson, you know, Dabo Sweeney, he, you know, he lost his offense coordinator, lost his defense coordinator. He, he doubled down, tripled down, promoted guys from within for all those jobs. Hasn't really gone into the portal for very much. He's very much sticking by what he's doing. And look, Clemson may not make the playoffs this year, but the, probably maybe win the ACC again and maybe go 11-1. and one. And, and I don't know if that's enough for, for Dabo to make wholesale changes and, and really change up what he's doing. So I think there be, may, might be some more long-term concern there for Clemson in terms of getting back to where they used to be annually. Where Alabama, it's still a machine. They're still bringing in the number one recruiting class every year. they just got to fix some things. Chris, appreciate your time as always, brother. Uh, enjoy the Thanksgiving holidays. Best to you and your family, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Yep, thanks for having me. Also, by the way, I got a story up today on The Athletic about uh, ULM's win over Alabama 15 years ago today. It just went up, so 
anybody wants to check that out, uh, check theathletic.com. Oh, they took the billboard out, too. I remember it like it was yesterday. Appreciate the time, bud. See you. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Lee Sterling for Paramount Sports, Les East of CrescentCitySports.com, McNeese head football coach Gary Goff, and Chris Fanini of The Athletic. Our poll question of the day, should the Astros pay Verlander whatever he wants? 68% of you say no, 30 per, 32% of you say yes. Salty Steve says, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't poke the mask of the old Lone Ranger. And you don't pay a pitchers in their 40s for three years a lot of money. <laughs> I like that. And then he said, Mr. Green can sing it to you. Nice. Robert Duplichan says, hey, three years, $115 million would be fair. Doug says, they can sit around a table with bowls of gumbo and come to a reasonable contract. Go champs. And yes, is Doug going to make that gumbo? I have questions. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question, including JPK, the OD, says, let him go to L.A., walk the red carpet with his hot wife at movie premieres and flame out with the Dodgers in the playoffs. Woo! Some saltiness there about JV coming back or not coming back. Appreciate all who voted and left their comments on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for today's edition of RP3 and Company. We'll do it all again tomorrow. We'll try to be better from 6 to 9. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.